the following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, I have arrived. Well, welcome. That was um, a bit of a clickbaity headline on last week's podcast. <laughs> I think just a little. Just a little you know bit. what made I, it worse was I had forgot one crucial step in the entire process. Which was? The show headlines off the top in which you flat out say that I am providing a clickbait style headline to the episode. Oh. And so I'm listening to the show um, at like two in the afternoon on launch day. And I'm like, oh my God, I've screwed up. <laughs> and I raced back to the studio and I dropped it back in, swapped out the audio. So anybody who downloaded the show on the Wednesday when it was released got the um, the preview cut that didn't include you going, I'm not dying. This is not my last show. Right, right. <laughs> so when I my thought was when I saw that headline was, huh, okay, I've been fired. Oh, really? Yeah. And then my second thought was, Oh, he's trying to be funny. You're trying, clearly, not succeeding. Yeah. And not only did I not succeed, but only one person went, oh, He's off the show? <laughs> Live from Studio 3B. Now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes, Spotify, and GeoCities. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guests, Sting. Uh, I'm apparently back from the dead. <laughs> Rumors of my device were greatly exaggerated by one other person on this podcast. I have no idea who you're talking about, but rumors of UFO activity may not have been exaggerated. No, the U.S. military confirms the existence thanks to a member of Blink-182, or at least a former member. Plus, Alan's views on little green men. They exist. The truth is out there. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. I was expecting an outpouring of grief. Yeah, actually, now that you mention it, uh, where, where's the concern? <laughs> where, where are the maybe, condolences? Maybe it's just that the listeners know my jig is up. Uh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's possible. So your parents are here? Yeah, I uh, actually... In, okay, let's just back up for people who are coming in late to the party. See, your parents came into town because they thought you were going to die on the operating table like I did. No, they. Th I invited them here to look after me when I was supposed to arrive home shortly after 11 a.m. on Wednesday. Now, let me explain exactly what happened. So I went in for my surgery Monday. I exited surgery just fine, although I did have two tubes coming out of me and one tube going in. There was an IV, there was a catheter, and then there was something called a nephrostomy tube. Uh, what? I've never heard of that. It was a, it's a hose that leads directly into the kidney from the outside in my back, and it was draining the kidney directly because I had this three centimeter stone that needed to be quite literally jackhammered out. It was three centimeters in, in length and the tool that they used was this little device that had a laser on it. It had a ultrasonic pulse on it. It had a jackhammer head on it, and it had a vacuum attachment. 
So basically, this was hard rock mining inside my kidney. <laughs> Wait a minute. You told me in perhaps the most revolting way possible that the reason why we're not going to be able to include your kidney stones as some sort of silent auction option to fundraise for the show going to CES is that the stones are too mushy. Well, a revolting image in my head. Yeah, I was told that they were too, they were going to be too mushy, but it turns out that they were too hard. So as a result, they had to pulverize this thing into sand and oh. then suck it all out. And then what was what was left behind, they had to use this nephrostomy tube to, to drain it all out. So I end up in recovery with, like I say, two tubes going out, one tube coming in. And uh, it was like being a member of the Borg. So I, I was... In recovery on, on, on Monday, things were going fine. Tuesday, I start to feel a little not so good because I had something called an ileus, which was buggering things up uh, on, on the inside of the abdomen. By the time we get to Wednesday, there my, my what's called a creatinine level, which is an indicator of exactly how well your kidneys are working, went through the roof. You know, 200, 400, 600 so there was obviously something wrong, and I was in a tremendous amount of pain. So they whipped me down to cystology, and I end up in, again, a, a CT machine and in a, an x-ray machine. And they found out that the right kidney, the one that, where they had done all the sandblasting, all the rock blasting, had become gunged up and, 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 and plugged. So my creatinine level kept going up and the kidney wasn't working, wasn't drained properly, which was causing the ileus, which was causing the pain, all kinds of stuff. When they took those x-rays and CT scans, they came to me and said, do you realize you have a stone in the left kidney as well? Which was a surprise to me because I was supposed to have that thing cleaned out last March. Uh, did you get a warranty for that work? I'm going to have to go back and check. There should be some kind of warranty. Yeah. So on Thursday morning or Thursday afternoon, I'm back into surgery. They fix the complication with the right kidney, and then they go into the left kidney and blast out that stone, which apparently was of a substantial size as well. So then I, I spend Thursday and Friday draining, because again, I'm hooked up to all these hoses, uh, on all kinds of painkillers. Delauded was the one that I was being given the most. Thank you for the excruciating detail, by the way. Listen, it gets better. Awesome. And I find, and there we're, we're monitoring my uh, my blood levels, my creatinine levels. And it wasn't until uh, somewhere around 10 o'clock on Saturday that I was out of danger and I could come home. Meanwhile, and this is at St. Joe's Hospital in Hamilton, and I must say that the nurses on the seventh floor of the Mary Grace Wing, wing were, were absolutely terrific. Like, ab you know, you couldn't ask for, for better people. But the surgical ward is amalgamated with the I've fallen and I can't get up ward. Ah. So I am surrounded by all these people who are, well, aged people who uh, are suffering from broken shoulders and broken hips and bad knees and all the rest of it. Uh, many of whom come from retirement homes, many of whom uh, are suffering from various levels of, of dementia. So you got a flash of your life 20 years from now. There was a woman who will go nameless that was wheeled next to me into the TV room where I was trying to uh, work on, on some blogs and some... some uh, you were still on the job. I was still on the job. And uh, she looks over at me slightly. She's like 125 years old. Older than dirt. She looks over at me slightly. And she inches up her nightgown so I get to see her thigh with this smile on her face. Ooh. 
And it's like, no, I don't, no, I don't need this. And then the nurse comes running in about five minutes later, and it turns out that this woman had completely disrobed in the in the chair next to me. And it was something that I'll never unsee. Uh, meanwhile, we had another woman who had... Whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, how many more of these stories are we going to be able to handle? Uh, well, the other, the next couple are okay. There was one woman... <laughs> how who, many are there? You okay. know, we have a guest stand. I, I understand, but the people want to know. I, I'm, I'm telling you what the Ontario healthcare system is like. Yeah, I, clearly they don't because there was only one guy who even was concerned that you weren't coming back to the show. Well, I'm punishing people for not coming... For, for not coming oh, you're punishing... Here. <laughs> So, there's another woman who uh, was really, really ornery, and I'm not getting into that chair. It smells. Where's my glasses? Help, help, help. She was, she was wonderful. Uh, and then there's another woman who began screaming in her bed every night at exactly 8 o'clock. Uh, and she would reach, it was incredible, she would reach E of middle C. Uh, uh, it, it, perfect one in one half second. So, oh, 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 oh. And then for house. But your parents are over right now. Yep, they're going home tomorrow morning at 5. I had mom come in and do a lot of laundry, do a lot of cleaning. She seemed to be really happy with that. Uh, Dad had a bottle of Crown Royal and a bottle of vodka. That kept him quiet. Uh, Mom played with the dogs and uh, basically paid for a dinner out or two. So they flew in from Leg Cramp, Manitoba? Mm -hmm. I, bought, I brought them in on points. <laughs> so did they do anything while they were in town or did they just wait for you to come back from the hospital? They waited for two days for me to come back to the hospital. My wife had entertainment during that time. She was at home too. Ah. Uh, so I, I, saddled him, I saddled my wife with him. And uh, how did that go over? There will be a postmortem. <laughs> I'm actually leaving for the UK uh, Wednesday morning at nine o'clock because I will be on assignment for the Beatles. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right. getting a 50th anniversary treatment and the next record in the lineup is abbey road released on september the 27th 1969 so on that date this year a special 50th anniversary edition is coming out and what they did was they went back into the vaults looked at the master tapes looked at the multi-track tapes took them all apart and then cleaned them up and reassembled them for 21st century years you got to remember when this record was made in 1969 that a lot of people were still using portable turntables with plastic tone arms. So you had to master the recordings to respect those kinds of playback units. I'll give you a prime example of that in the 21st century. You can get a plug-in for Pro Tools that changes the tone of what you're listening to depending on what you think the person's going to be listening to it at the end of the day. Is this an MP3 player? Is this a stereo system? Is this a pair of headphones? And, and you would mix based upon what you think your target demographic would be consuming the content on. Right. Back in the day when you had AM pop stations, there would be big studio monitors that you would mix the records on. And then you would do a submix on a pair of crappy little full range speakers sitting on top of the console because that's how 
people would be listening to the record through crappy AM car radio speakers. So in this particular sense, what, they're, what they've done is they've completely re-engineered the Abbey Road album in the opposite direction for maximum fidelity. So on Thursday, which is the 26th, the day after this podcast comes out, I will be in London as the only Canadian invitee to listen to the brand new recording, right, brand new 21st century edition of the Abbey Road album. This listening session will take place at 9.30 in the morning at Abbey Road Studios. Yes. In Studio 2, where the album was actually recorded 50 years before. And after we're done all that, I'm going to sit down with Ringo. Not Paul. Paul lives around the corner on a street called Cavendish. He's not so he- not scheduled to come around, but uh, you got to think that maybe he might drop in. Why would he not? Well, this is it. But it's again, it's Paul McCartney. <laughs> he can he can do whatever he wants. Apparently, so can Schmooze. Yeah, Ringo has a new album coming out, which is something he wants to talk about. So. Oh, okay. So that's why I get him for an interview. And uh, when I told the people at uh, ET Canada, Entertainment Tonight Canada, that I was doing this, uh, they're sending a crew. That's fantastic. Yeah, so me and Ringo. I've never met Ringo. And uh, I understand he's a bit prickly at times. Shut up down there. He's a bit prickly at times, but he's, uh, again, it's a beagle. <laughs> and I get to talk to him. You know what we missed, by the way, over the course of the last week? The big Area 51 raid. I was following that in the hospital, and I was really hoping that something was going to go terribly, terribly wrong. <laughs> and uh, because that would have been really, you know, fun to watch. But apparently what happened was they, they canceled the event, sort of. Yeah. Uh, and 100 people still showed up, most of them dressed in costume. Well, 100 people, well, it's not that they showed up, but 100 people actually went and stormed the gates. There were more than 100 people there. But 100 people, you know, actually ended up storming the gates. Two guys got arrested for urinating on the gate. So that's uh, that's a security risk. At another gate, there was cattle on the road. Nobody could get past the cows. This has been a really weird last little while for aliens and unidentified flying objects. I didn't know that the guy from Blink-182 now has a UFO investigation company. She's a girl dressed in black from another world. Lives and breathes like a girl from another world. She don't know my name. She don't have the time of day. You know what? We should try and get Tom DeLong on. He's got this company called, this organization called the To The Stars Academy. And he's hired a bunch of ex-CIA, ex-US military uh, to investigate what he calls unidentified aerial phenomena. He leaked something that led the U.S. Uh, military to admit that, yeah, we've, we've seen some pretty crazy shit. Yeah, the Navy. Uh, and This was in the New York Times front page uh, back in December. Uh, they were scrambled to follow these, these weird spinning objects, and uh, they flew at hypersonic speeds and changed direction in physical ways that were not possible. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I've been following Tom for quite some time, and I, I think I might have even, uh, yeah, actually, I think I'm a, a charter member of the To The Stars Academy, because I want to see, you know, Tom, listen, dude, if this truth is out there, I want you to find it for us. I've seen the footage. I am far from an expert on this topic, but it's 
really freaky that these almost white Tylenol pill-shaped... Tic Tacs. Yeah, somebody described them as Tic Tacs, uh, flying at a high rate of speed and having the ability to make these remarkable maneuvers. And I, I think it was uh, Stephen Colbert who had the line when we they play the tape. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. I don't want to hear steely-eyed fighter pilots that confused. <laughs> That's like hearing your surgeon say, ooh, this guy's all wet inside. Yeah, because nothing flies like that. And if you're a Top Gun pilot, you want to be able to fly things, things that, can, that can do those, make those maneuvers. Think about uh, Will Smith back in Independence Day when he's flying that alien spacecraft. And the first thing he says, I got to get me one of these. Yeah. And that's what all these guys want, want to do. The question becomes, what is it that we're looking at here? Are we looking at something otherworldly? Or are we just looking at something that we don't know anything about because we're not on the inside? Well, I know what's going on. Oh, what's your answer? We have uh, interdimensional beings who have been visiting us for quite some time. We have either captured some of their technology or it's been given to us. And this material is being re-engineered so that we may use it to for the betterment of mankind. At least that's what the aliens want. We're not doing it. We're completely keeping it secret because there's something called zero-point energy, which basically conjures free energy out of nowhere that would completely and utterly rewrite the industrial base of mankind. Imagine free energy for everybody forever, non-polluting, no emissions, nothing whatsoever. Uh, that's, that's what the, the issue is. I pulled up the Wikipedia entry. Zero-point energy is the lowest possible energy that a quantum mechanical system may have. Unlike in classical mechanics, quantum systems constantly fluctuate in their lowest energy state, as described by the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. In quantum field theory, the vacuum state is the quantum state with the lowest possible energy, no physical particles, and the energy, and is the energy of the ground state. Mm -hmm. See? <laughs> Okay, so I, I can appreciate that science has a concept called zero-point energy. My question to you is, is this what you actually believe? I think that there's something going on out there that's being used without the knowledge of regular folks. If you are re-engineering this highly advanced technology, you're not going to make it available to mankind but what you're saying is that you believe that aliens have come and they've given us technology. I want to believe it, sure. Yeah. I want to believe it as well. Whether I do or not, it's a bit of a different story. I think we're seeing something that's beyond our abilities to understand. I like this idea of interdimensionality because it gets over this whole business of faster than light speed uh, that you would need to get from galaxy to galaxy or whatever. It's just Right, the idea being is that aliens wouldn't bother to visit us because we're so far away. Exactly. So you pop in, you pop out, and this is consistent with some of the uh, witnesses that we're, we're seeing with, with some of these these crafts. They they appear, and then they do a bunch of really cool things, not using the physics of this universe, and then they disappear, uh, and they can't be explained. So that's, that's my thing. Yeah, interdimensional beings uh, who have harnessed zero-point energy, who have maybe made contact with certain factions here on Earth who are reverse engineering everything so they can maintain their control over us. Pop quiz, Mr. Ufologist. Mm. 
which science fiction writer said this? Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Arthur C. Clarke. Yes. Clark's first law. When a distinguished but elderly scientist states that something is possible, he is almost certainly right. When he states that something is impossible, he is very probably wrong. Exactly. I do find it interesting, though, that um, the Navy will not call them UFOs. No, no, no. They're unidentified aerial phenomenon. The word or the term UFOs has been tainted for decades. It, it's, it makes people th- sound uh, like crackpots. Right. They changed it, I understand, because the Navy specifically was fearful that if pilots saw something unidentified that was flying as an object in the air, that they would not report it out of fear of being thought of as a wacko. Right. So we don't know if this is an object. We just know that it is an aerial phenomenon that we can't describe or identify. So UAPs. If you're in the if you're one of the cool kids, it's not UFOs, it's UAPs. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine. This is a GNB News Update. Any further advances on your side getting us to CES 2020? I was in the hospital for a week. <laughs> I was waiting for that. Jesus. So, well, he had time to blog. You know, I just want everybody. I just want everybody to know that when I was in the hospital the last time, which is back in August, I did happen to be on the August long weekend, and that meant I was there on Sunday into Monday, which is when we would normally do the podcast. And, and Michael says to me, uh, "Hmm, what's the Wi-Fi like, dude?" No. I, yes, you did. No, yes, I was. Did. Yes, I did. But it was not because I was angling to record the episode. I was worried that you'd be sitting there twiddling your thumbs. Oh, is that what that was? Oh, okay. I swear, you know, as I typed it, I thought he thinks I'm going to try to get him to do the show from his That's bed. That's you know, mission accomplished. That's exactly no. what I thought it was. No, right. it wasn't. All right, sure, whatever. All right. Okay, we're still waiting to find out if uh, we have a sponsor for the world's most popular podcast going to CES 2020. But at uh, geeksandbeats.com, the GoFundMe campaign continues. Yeah, continues apace. Our longtime listener, uh, Scott Coates from Kuala Lumpur. Oh, yes. Hi, Scott. Uh, yeah, uh, he uh, donated $100. The donation is to get us to CES, and his line is ideally to use for Diamond Dave. Thank you very much. Translate that. David Lee Roth of Van Halen is doing a residency in Las Vegas the week that we're there. I want to go see him. This was a donation to the world's most popular podcast uh, because our longtime patron, Victor Biggio, had promised that for every 100 bucks that gets thrown into our GoFundMe campaign, he'll send a Geeks and Beats miracle travel mug of traveling to that person. And Scott has requested that we send it off to um, another Coates family member. So I think this might be his dad. No. Well, that would be nice. Intergenerational. In Nanaimo, B.C. Exactly. 
So, yeah, so if you go to geeksandbeats.com and uh, click the support the show link, you can support us on Patreon, on PayPal, or at the very top of the webpage, there's a CES 2020 link that'll get you to our GoFundMe campaign, which at this point, uh, we are officially about a third of the way through if you throw in all of our PayPal donations and the Patreon, but technically, we're only 12.5% of the way there. Well, I do think when I get back from London, I have a meeting that might help sort things out for a little bit. This is with a auto. This is with a uh, audio video manufacturer that will be at CES and is interested in maybe talking to us about something. So it looks like we're on our way. We've already got the uh, media accreditation for you, me, and our ace director Sean Jate. Mm-hmm. So right now we've got enough money to get down there but we're just going to have to sleep under a bridge. Right, or we can sleep next to that weird lady at the Fremont Center Mall. There's always one. Before we leave, I would like to uh, give a shout-out to Nog, son of Rom, nephew of Quark, and only grandchild of Ishka. Oh, Deep Space Nine. Yes, he was the first Ferengi to join Starfleet. Uh, He appeared in seven seasons of Star Trek Deep Space Nine from 1993 to 1999. Actor's name was Aaron Eisenberg. Uh, He is dead. At the age of 50. There's the Ferengi rules of acquisition, right? Right. Do you know how many Ferengi rules of acquisition there are? No. How many are there? I've just looked it up on the internet, so you know it must be true. 286. Hey, the art of the deal. Speaking of the art of the deal, number 266 on the list, when in doubt, lie. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. Spotify and Google Play or stream us live at geeksandbeats.com. Support the show on Patreon and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for a daily dose of the world's most popular podcasts with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.